Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Scripture um, in, our, in Psalms chapter 18, verses 1 through 6, and then 46 through 50. If you'd like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 454. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 18, beginning with verse 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from enemies, from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death comforted me, confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And beginning at verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies, Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Jeanette. I love you, O Lord, my strength, we just read. For who is God but the Lord? The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. We've just sung that this God is worth praising. He is worthy to be crowned with glory and honor. Let's go to this God in prayer now. Father, we are about to embark on an impossible journey. We are going to attempt to study and learn from your word, but your ways are so much higher than our ways. And your thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. We are incapable of understanding what it is that you have to say to us. And we're unworthy. We don't deserve to hear it. So Lord, would you, by your Spirit, be with us even now and solve this predicament for us. Fulfill your promise that your word will not return void. Even now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. For as long as I can remember... This time of year has always been special to me. It's been significant for various reasons. Um, October and November in particular carry in them some very significant dates for my family and me. Um, One of those is my brother, whom some some of you have heard me talk about, who was born with a severe mental illness, uh, was born in October and ended up passing away in November 12 years later. In addition to that, there are several birthdays 
that are celebrated in our family this time of year. Our daughter was born in October. Our son was born in November. I was born in November. Ashley was not. <laughs> but, but she deserves her own special recognition anyway. So that's, that's appropriate that she has her own time of year. And certainly Thanksgiving. Family gatherings that take place this time of year. And so for me, um, what ends up happening every year at this time is I begin to reflect back. I begin to look back, not just over the past year, but being reminded of all of these events throughout my lifetime um, and looking at them and seeing how the Lord has been faithful through them all. And really, that's what we have before us in Psalm 18, a psalm that's also recorded for us. Um, First, it's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And in the context there, what we realize is this psalm is placed and given to us at a point where David is sitting on his throne and he's looking back and reflecting on everything the Lord had brought him through. From lowly shepherd boy to mighty king. And thinking back over this lifetime journey, and it was a very difficult journey. It was, I actually saw that I had written in my Bible and I, I neglected to write it down, so I'm tempted to take credit for it myself. I don't know who said it. Uh, but I wrote down, this is a reflection on a lifetime of God's faithfulness in a life full of trouble. And David's life was full of trouble. We're tempted to think of him in this prominent place as king and think everything's going well, but recount the times where it was not going well for David. And even in this heading that we have for us, one of the longest headings of any of the Psalms, David himself tells us that this was written to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hands of Saul. And then he said these words... And so as we work through this, we need to understand that there is both uh, an individual encouragement that David would give to all of us to look back and see how the Lord has been faithful in your life. But when we get to the very end of the psalm, what we realize is actually David's got a much bigger, much larger picture in mind here. Because it's not just the individual encouragement, but there's a messianic fulfillment where we're looking and talking about really the whole people of God, his covenant people that he has called and made for himself. And so both of these things we're going to see as we work through here. Now, I know the temptation that we face. I usually am sitting in the pew where you are. And the temptation already has been for you to look and see that there are 50 verses in this psalm. You heard earlier that we do have a meeting at 1.30 this afternoon, and I plan to be done before that meeting. But in reality, uh, the reality in how we're, we're going to have to approach this is to spend more time on some sections than on other sections. So while you do have an outline uh, with five points on it, we're not going to be able to spend the same amount of time in each of those points. So I just wanted to give that to you up front so that you are prepared. But let's dive in here. The first thing we see, these first few verses, 
where David draws our attention to God himself and, and begins to tell us who God is. And the first thing he says is, he is a God of strength. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. And it's interesting to me that in this language, as we've already said, David had a very difficult lifetime. And, and when, he, when he says he was rescued from the hands of his enemies, we can read through and hear this language that he's using here and understand in his mind, he's reflecting back to these times where he was running and hiding in the caves, in the mountains. These rocks were his refuge. That's where he escaped from his enemy. And he pulls in this very personal language and says, even at that time, when I was hiding and and being rescued by these rocks and caves, it was actually the Lord who was my rock. It was the Lord who was my fortress. He was the one who was my shield, my stronghold. And so he's taking this very personal experience and understanding that that it was the Lord himself working in that to, to show the Lord's strength in David's life. We're going to move to the next section where he talks about a God who both hears and acts. And that was originally supposed to be two separate points, but I thought six points would overwhelm you. So you have both of those combined into one. And we're going to look at the God who hears. And this is a tremendous comfort to us as God's people. Verse 4, he says, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. I'm going to pause there, actually, for just a second. So not only is, is David telling us who God is, but here we understand David's telling us who we are. And who he is. He's humbling himself. He's admitting weakness. He's admitting that he is not strong enough and he needs help. You see that in these verses we just read? He was facing death and had no way out. But then we have the second part of verse 6. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. If that doesn't bring you comfort as a child of God, I don't know what would. I just learned a few minutes ago today's Orphan Sunday. That that would preach in and of itself that we as God's children can cry out to him. We who were orphaned, what was the term you used? Unadoptable orphans? That was us. But God from his temple heard my voice. My cry for help reached his ears. What comfort this brings to us that we have a God who hears us. He hears us. And not only does he hear us, but he acts on it. In this section where we're going to talk about him acting on it, We can actually divide that again into two sections where we see not only God's might displayed, 
but then God, but then David talks about God's might experienced. So the first part he sees God's might is displayed, and we're not going to read through all of this, but listen to this language that he's using, and think through where this, where you've heard this language before. The earth reeled and rocked, the mountains trembled and quaked, thick darkness was under his feet. Hailstones, coals of fire breaking through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and, his, and the Most High uttered his voice hailstones and coals of fire, flashing forth lightnings. Channels of the sea were seen, foundations of the world were laid bare. I'm sorry, that was probably hard to track with. I'm jumping through some of these verses, but I hope what stood out to you was this language that, as far as we know, was not what David experienced. These were not the things that David saw in his lifetime, were they? Where did these come from? These were at the time of Moses in Egypt. The plagues that he poured out to deliver his people the exodus through the Red Sea, the the experience at Mount Sinai when he's meeting with his people and giving them the law. And what we have here is David reaching back beyond his own experience, but reaching back into the prior experience of God's people and saying that God who delivered his people is the same God who is delivering me. That he has been faithful to deliver his people from the very beginning. And that we can take this language that's applied to the church prior and say, this is what he did for me. And that's what David does. He moves straight into, beginning at verse 16, this language talking about the might, God's might that he experienced himself. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Did you hear the shift in the tone of the language? We we now have for us Me, 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 my, my. Very personal, first person pronouns that he's using here, saying that God that we just talked about, the one who did this for his people back in Egypt, back at Sinai, this is my God. And this is what he has done for me. I've experienced it. And what comfort, again, we find comfort in the fact that he hears us. And look at verse 19. The fact that his people, those whom he rescues, he delights in. I don't know where you are today, but maybe that's all you need to hear today. Is that the Lord delights in you if you belong to him. The next section we enter into this part where we're going to talk about the God of righteousness. And this is a section where we want to cry out, 
no, David, you can't do that. We want to tell David, you're not allowed to say those things. That's not what we believe. Because what he tells us is, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. All his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt so the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. And we say, oh no, David, you can't claim that. You can't claim to be blameless. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about Psalm 51 that we just read earlier that you wrote, David, where you cried out to the Lord for forgiveness because of your sin? You were not blameless. You were not righteous. How can you make this claim? And I would argue, actually, that we find the reason he can claim this in Psalm 51. We read, cast me not, this is verse 11, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And I would argue Psalm 18, written after Psalm 51, is how David is showing us that his prayer was answered. That he cried out for deliverance. That he cried out for forgiveness. And the Lord gave it to him. And we stopped here in our reading earlier. But verse 13 goes on to say, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. And I'm going to argue that David is showing us that God answered his prayer. And he is crying out praise to the Lord because his prayer was answered. He had been washed clean to the point that he could claim righteousness. Not because it's his own righteousness. He actually goes on later to tell us that that righteousness came from God. In verse 32, he tells us, he made my way blameless. So pressing on, we see in verse 25 of Psalm 18, David then goes again to to, to describe this God who is righteous. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. And with the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked man, with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. And so we see David is very clearly for us painting this picture that there are really only two groups of people. There are those who are the Lord's enemies, and there are those whom the Lord has rescued. That's it. In this psalm, you're either those whom the Lord has rescued or you are the Lord's enemy. And what David's telling us is 
The Lord is faithful to rescue his people. But the Lord brings justice and judgment on his enemies. We move on to the God of victory, and we're not going to read all the way through this either. But let me read portions of it. Who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The obvious answer is no one. It's God who equipped me with strength. It's God who made my way blameless. It is God who made my feet like the feet of a deer. The one who trained my hands and has given me the shield of salvation. It is God who made wide places for the steps under me. It is God who equipped me with strength for the battle. And it is God who made my enemies turn their back. And look at the difference of verse 41 to what we read earlier in verse 6. They cried for help, that's the enemies, cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Again, two groups. Do you belong to the Lord, or are you his enemy? We're going to jump forward to the last section. And that doesn't mean we're almost done. That means we're halfway done. The last section on the God of faithfulness. I'm trying to be as as upfront with you as I can today, okay? Verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Now I mentioned earlier, so we, we get to the end here and we realize we need to go back and reread this whole song. Because David brings in for us, I, I'm sorry to those of you that I told earlier I wasn't going to mention any Hebrew, I'm going to mention one Hebrew word because it's about all I know. The word anointed in verse 50, Messiah. And so David tells us, if we didn't catch it before, David tells us there is much more going on here than David himself looking back at his own life. I thought about changing the name of this message from the steadfast rock to um, looking back and looking forward. Because David is doing both. He looks back to see what the Lord had done for his people, but he doesn't stop at his own life. He brings in the covenant language. You remember the covenant that God had made with David, that it was gonna be one of his descendants that would be the promised Messiah, 
and that would reign forever. And David is connecting those dots for us. He pulls in the language so that we know, verse 49, this I will praise you among the nations. A fulfillment of the covenant made with Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed. Great salvation, verse 50, he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed Messiah, to David and his offspring forever. Forever. And so we have to stop and go back and reread some of this. I'm not going to reread all of this, but look at some of these phrases and think of this in terms of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and current ministry on our behalf. Verse 17, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. Verse 19, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 20, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness and Christ could certainly claim that. Verse 22, for all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. Verse 23, I was blameless before him. And we could go on and on and find all of these references that are fulfilled in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. One of the thoughts that crossed my mind as I was reading through this, even these verses that we just read again, he rescued me, he delivered me. It occurred to me that Those terms don't mean what we want them to mean. And here's what I mean by that. I was woken up, as many of you probably were, at 3.30 Friday morning with a tornado warning, right? A tornado that never happened, I don't think. So we never had to actually experience that threat. That's what we want rescue to me. That's what we want deliverance to me. But that is not the biblical picture that we get of deliverance, unfortunately. David is looking back at his life and he experienced the loss of a child. He experienced the betrayal of another son. He experienced his acquaintances seeking his life. He experienced a grievous public sin. And he experienced punishment for that. So he did not get delivered from experiencing these trials. What he got was delivered through the trials. And that's the biblical picture. It's exactly the same way Christ was delivered. He he wasn't delivered from the trials. He was delivered through them. And so I think we need to understand that what David is claiming about our God, it's tempting to say, yeah, but, but God hasn't been that way for me because here's what I've seen. Here's what I've experienced. And David says, exactly. That's how the Lord 
rescues his people is he remains faithful and steadfast even in the midst of it. That we can always count on him to fulfill his promises. And the bigger picture here, the Apostle Paul helps us tremendously to understand the bigger picture fulfillment of this psalm. If you'll turn very quickly over to Romans chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And I'm going to argue that that includes the psalm we're talking about today. That through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul is is here talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, Jews and Gentiles coming together as Christ's church. How do I know that? Because he goes on, verse eight, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, some of those promises we've already mentioned, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, and here's the connection, Verse 49 from Psalm 18, Paul pulls in here and says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. In other words, Paul is telling us, Christ himself says, I am fulfilling Psalm 18 and the deliverance of my people by building my church. I am bringing people from around the globe from every tribe and language and nation. And I am building them into one church that is mine. And here's a beautiful thought that I'm not sure, I know I hadn't dwelt much on it before. Charles, Charles Spurgeon talks one, in one of his sermons about the fact that we ought to be blown away by the reality that the church even exists today. The most persecuted and attacked entity in all the world's history. People sought to put it to death from its outset. And it has never ceased to be attacked. And yet it remains. His church remains. And it doesn't just remain. It remains perfectly in the sense that not one soul of all those whom Christ has redeemed has ever been lost. Not one soul. He is building his church. And we're going to wrap up over in Revelation where this reality is brought home. In Revelation chapter 5, beginning at verse 5. John is looking for somebody 
who is worthy to open the scroll? Is there anybody who is worthy? And the answer comes to him. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the Messiah, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And here's a connection we didn't get to dive real deep into. Verse 2 of our psalm talks about a horn of salvation, a symbol of victory, of might. And here this lamb who is standing as though slain has, is seen to have seven horns, pointing to ultimate victory with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the, all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and catch this, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, the cries of his children that he hears and acts upon. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. This is the building of the church from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. He does fulfill his promises. He is our steadfast rock. The Lord lives and blessed be our rock and exalted be the God of our salvation. He is fulfilling his promises in Christ, one redeemed sinner at a time, and not one will ever be lost because the God of strength is Jesus the God who hears us and acts is Jesus. The God of righteousness is Jesus. The God of victory and the God of faithfulness is Jesus. And he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I don't know if it's okay to say this, but don't you want to be a part of that? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, you were their rock. Those saints who've gone before us. You were their fortress and their might. You were their captain in their well-fought fight. And you in their darkness, you were their one true light. And Lord, we rejoice because from every wide bound of the earth, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl will stream in your countless host.
singing to you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.